preaching through 1 John and uh, through the Eastertide. Today we're in chapter 3, and John says this, he exclaims, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Friends, today we proclaim that God, God's love transforms us to become like God with God. It's the undoing of lawlessness that leads to death. This is what love is like. To be children. To be children. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we do ask for uh, humility and consent as your word finds footing in our heart. So Lord, uh, we pray you'd speak to us. Good news. We need good news today. Uh, full of grace and truth, full of life, full of eternal life, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, the sum of all of our problems, uh, humanity's problems, could be summed up this way as a simple predicament of that we simply have no idea what love is. We, we don't have the faintest idea of how to actually obey this command to love as I have loved you. And, in, and the understanding we do have in terms of like agreement or assent that that's a good idea, that's probably something we should try, is we have puny imaginations for this. Let me give you three uh, stories from my week. Maybe you have better imaginations for what love looks like in these three situations. So maybe this is just my confession. <laughs> uh, Dan and Lisa came to the elders and told them, we are doing this because we love the church. Dan and Lisa are elders, and they uh, had spent three months having conversations with congregation members about, uh, this isn't our church, by the way, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, conversations about how they were concerned that the pastor and another woman were having an affair. Um, so they talked to dozens of people about the, their concerns. And then when these dozens of people said, hey, you should sit down with this person and this pastor and maybe talk to them about this, they did. Both the pastor and this other, this woman uh, said, there's nothing untoward happening. You're wrong. Uh, and so then uh, Dave and Lisa pivoted their concerns uh, from about this relationship to now about the pastor's leadership. And they wrote a two-page letter and submitted it to the elders about all the ways in which they wanted to see the pastor improve as a leader or they were leaving. They're also the largest financial giver of this small church. We're doing this because we love this church. Is that what love looks like? Feels something, something seems to be amiss. Of course, the pastor of this church is a friend of mine, and he's asking the same question. What does love look like when I'm being accused of a wrong, and now I've been given an ultimatum to become the kind of leader God has not called me to be in this congregation? 
My friend Catherine is spending the weekend with her family. This is story number two. Uh, spending the weekend with the family uh, at a wedding. Uh, she has five siblings, uh, and they're staying. The weekend. It should be a fun weekend, except uh, her dad won't be there. Uh, her dad has been kicked out of the house by her mom uh, because her mom found out that he had spent $20,000 on illicit relationships. The siblings are split on what to do with dad. Some of them uh, are sympathetic to dad because he's owning his wrongdoing and he's trying to make amends. Some are siding with mom. You know, you've been lying to us for 20 years and you've got a big problem and you're only confessing now because you got kicked out of the house. And my friend Catherine is going to stay in this house. Some of the siblings have talked to mom. Some of the siblings have sided with dad. Uh, and she's asking me, How do, what, do, what, 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 what do I do? What does love live like in this house this weekend? I just got an invitation to a wedding. Story number three. I just got an invitation to a wedding. Uh, quintessential, uh, this is the quintessential cultural event, right? This is where we preach 1 Corinthians 13, weddings. That's why the text was written, apparently. <clears throat> Not really. Uh, I got invited to a wedding. Uh, she, uh, the, the bride is a widow. Uh, and, the, and the husband, let's call them uh, tra Tracy and Mike. Tracy, <laughs> i got to really be careful with the words I use, the names. Tracy is a widow. Mike is second marriage. Um, they are both friends of mine. They started dating when Mike was still married to his first wife. His first wife is a friend of mine as well. His first wife and the four kids that he left for Tracy are devastated and Mike asks me, why can't you just be happy for us? I want to love him, right? I want to love Mike. I want to love his ex-wife and the four kids, too. What does love live like there? Friends, nothing is more important to the New Testament writers, and John uh, is probably the penultimate person here than, uh, than love. And nothing is less understood, I want to suggest, by the 21st century church than love. Nothing is more elusive or difficult or even impossible for us. And I just mentioned like three kind of big scenarios, right, where you've got like relational conflicts and all kinds of issues, but you probably have a story from this morning in your life Maybe it was just you battling the interior narrative and monologue of that doesn't sound like love for yourself. Maybe it was the person you live with and their smelly, undisorganized, loud, whatever. That drives you nuts. Friends, can you relate to not knowing what love lives like in a day-to-day -day situation and circumstance? But today, friends, today we... Uh, we're going to look at one aspect of love from the letter of John. We talked about life last week. Today is love. These are big themes in John's epistle, John's letter he wrote to this church. And today we want to look at the aspect of love that makes us children. Children. God's love transforms us to become like God with God as his children, undoing the lie of lawlessness that leads to death. This is what love is. 
We're God's kids. So let's take a look at 1 John. Uh, there's this contrast he makes between uh, righteousness and lawlessness. Um, there's a lot of ways to talk about this, but I, I don't want us to become sort of, um, get lost in sort of a moralistic do good and uh, do, be a good girl and not be a bad girl, like kind of understanding about lawlessness and righteousness. So when, when John uses this language, he's calling to mind uh, uh, that there's a, way of, there's a way of trying to be God without God, becoming, becoming sort of a God unto ourselves, and this is what John calls lawlessness. It's, it's, uh, it's the primary fundamental archetypal flaw of humanity. It's the Adam and Eve sin. You can become like God if you eat this fruit, right? And so Adam and Eve then uh, try, to, try to grasp, try to lay hold of godness without God. This is, this is what lawlessness is. It's not breaking a commandment as much as the commandments are meant to show us how to be like God with God. So John's writing in like 1 John 3 verse 4, he's writing about um, the, the contrast of righteousness is being a law unto ourselves, moving away from life and wholeness. And so then John is holding out to us uh, becoming a child, which is righteousness. He calls he has this word righteousness, which means being in harmony or being in alignment with God. It's being like God with God. That's who Jesus is. That's what it means to be created in the likeness of God, to reflect and image who God is, which you can only do if you're with him, by the way. So this metaphor of children that John uses is something that blows him away, that the, the, the text is like, can you believe this? We get to be God's children because of the Father's love. And listen to this again. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called God, children of God. And, and then John says, and that's what we are. Like, can you believe it? Can you believe this? Now, one of the, one of the problems, I think, of Familiar metaphors is we lose how ridiculously awesome they are. Like, we kind of lose the scandal of, can you believe this? Because most of us are like, well, yeah, I've been a Christian for 20 minutes. I know I'm a child of God. But through Christ, we go from estranged, alienated orphans, lawlessness. We go from being, being a, uh, a God unto ourselves, for ourselves, to being adopted and included. There's two dynamics of being a child. Um, in our culture, we think of father to kid. We think of like this. We think of like an um, affectionate sort of connection. Like there's some babies here even now, and there's like this precious thing. In the ancient Near East, friends, um, uh, the, the the relationship of parent to child wasn't as intimate or close as the relationship of brother to brother or sister to sister. So when we think of like parent-to-child relationship and it's like this precious thing for us, right? Like a precious moment we put up on our wall. The ancient Near East, for them, that precious moment was sibling to sibling. There's lots of reasons for this and we don't have time to go into them all. So the, 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 what, what's being communicated isn't primarily those like, those little parent tinglies we get when we hold our baby. Those are precious, those are great. 
but that's not primarily what John's communicating. He's communicating two dynamics of what a child was. There's inclusion or incorporation into a family, and there's representation or authorization as an agent. There's identity of being included, and there's authority of being commissioned. A child or a son is someone who's like their father. So when Jesus is called the Son of God, we, we you know, <laughs> what's being primarily communicated there is that Jesus was like God. Not that his last name is the same. Does that make sense? <laughs> that Jesus is like what Adam should have been. So, uh, so Jesus then is an extension of God. That God has an agency or an influence in the world and Jesus becomes that agency and that influence. So then for us to be called children is for us to share in Jesus' commission. We are also identified by the Father, not, not necessarily by that way we failed to love this morning. We're, we're identified by our connection to Jesus, to the Father. And we are authorized or commissioned to be about his righteousness in the world. John talks about uh, other things in this text, like, you know, we've we seen him and we're looking forward to being like him when he's revealed. And what that looks like is, we don't know what that is yet. He talks about like obedience or righteousness is what hope lives like, right? So we, we look toward the revealing of who Jesus is. We'll, be, we'll see Jesus for who he is in the future and we'll be transformed into him. But it's all based around this metaphor of being a child, being included and authorized, being, uh, having solidarity and being sent. And so what does this mean for us? Because love is good news and being called a child of God is good news, like mind-blowing good news. Like what, why? Why is this such good news? Well, I, I got four things and then I want to call us to we're going we're gonna to sit in that love for a bit. The first thing is this. Love is, uh, we want to take love seriously around here. Uh, love, isn't, love, isn't just, um, love isn't just for kids and greeting cards and chicken soup and K-love. Like love is actually the strongest thing in the universe. The most powerful thing in the universe is God's love. Love will transform the world, will change our lives, is redeeming the cosmos. Everything, everything we do wants to be centered in the love that is revealed in Jesus. Full of grace, identity, incorporation, and truth, commission, authority, agency. So um, our discipleship, our DNA groups, everything we do is about learning how to live in grace and truth, learning how to embody being coming like God with God in grace and truth. The second is this, because we're called children, because Jesus was a son, because we're included into the family, you're not going to ever hear us say, well, Jesus could do that because he was God, but I'm no Jesus. First of all, it's healthy that you know you're not Jesus. There's some people running around who don't have that realization. They could use it. Secondly, uh, Jesus doesn't run around playing the God card to, 
taunt us as though his example is meant to create guilt and shame for us so that we can ask his forgiveness again. When Jesus says, follow me, when Paul and John and Peter say, imitate me, it's because Jesus isn't just the perfecter of our faith, but he's, the, he's like the pattern. He's the prototype of the new humanity. John says, we, we see him, and so we live like him, friends. And so we take Jesus' example around here pretty serious. We want to we be about what Jesus is about. We want to learn how to be with people that others write off, that others discard, that others say nothing good can come from there. Jesus is our prototype pattern pioneer and every other P word that would fit there. The third thing is that this love, this love isn't just about making me feel good. It's okay to feel good. Love will do that because it's uh, powerful. But love is about empowering us. Love is about helping us live into the priesthood of all believers. So um, as far as possible, we want to lead like Jesus leads, which means uh, he loves people not so they'll believe in him, as though that's the end goal. He loves people and thus empowers them so that he can trust them to be an extension of him. Right? Bear his name in the world. So the ultimate reality then isn't Jesus hoping, will you put down all your work? Will you put down all, like will you stop parenting your child and will you just kind of get on your knees and just put on your Chris Tomlin album on repeat and just worship me for six hours straight? Right? No. No. Jesus is looking for people he can trust with his power, his love. He'll give it to you even if you doubt. So that, so that we can be an extension of God's authority and God's love in the world. And so we want to look for ways here in our common life together to do that. So we have multiple preachers. I know you guys think I preach a lot. It's not because I want to. Like we want to have multiple preachers here that are declaring good news to us, right? Multiple liturgists, multiple people that are bearing God's authority in love for the sake of others. And the fourth thing about this love is that uh, as, as hard as it is for us to recognize what does love live like here, it's even more difficult for the world. John says the world does not recognize him. The world does not understand, hasn't seen this love. Uh, and so love then is our witness. It's our, it's our way of communicating who God is in the world. So I mentioned these story, these story nights. One of, the, one of the kairoses, one of the realizations we're having is that, um, that in affluent cultures, people don't know how to share their story in a, in a way that is actually heard and seen and received and recognized without the ending being told as well. So I used to have an eating disorder, but now I'm a beach body rep and I'm killing it. Or we, we filed bankruptcy, but now we're twice as rich as we used to be. But what about the bankruptcy story? We're finding that people don't have any safe places to share that they aren't, they aren't killing it. They're not living the American dream, right? And so we want to be a people that can love others in their story, right where they're at, and have an imagination for what that lives like. 
right? And that's not just a sentiment. That's a sacrament. That's not just a... I'm not aspirationally feeling pity for you, and so that's love, but I'm holding open space for an encounter between God and us. That's something that we're formed into uh, as we come to the table. We're receiving God communicated in bread and wine in very ordinary, ordinary things, everyday things, tangible things. If God is present in the bread and wine, God is present everywhere. And we can encounter and meet him there. So we're committed to that. We're committed to putting our stake in the ground in love and, and letting, uh, there will be people scandalized by that. There will be people who leave because of that. There will be people who think that we're not tough enough or we're, or we're not, not weak enough. Like, love is where it's at. It makes us children. This is how we become God, like God with God. And it's how we undo the lawlessness, the, the lie that we can we can figure out uh, love apart from Jesus, apart from his pattern, example, and his death and resurrection. So what do we do with that? Like, how do we respond to this today? Well, here's the thing about love, friends. Love is not an abstraction that we can intellectualize and then apply. I can't give you six steps to love and you apply it to Dan and Lisa trying to tear a church apart by factions and rivalries and then apply it to Catherine in her house with her siblings, and then apply it to my friend who's wanting me just to like be happy for him that he ruined four kids' lives. Okay, there's no four principles. There's no 12 irrefutable laws of love to apply to those three places. And rather, rather, what John keeps coming back to over and over again is we've seen this love, we've lived it, we've touched it, we've tasted it, we've experienced it, we, we've attuned to it. And so it's become a part of us. So we live in love. We abide. We dwell there. So um, we don't need more certitude about love. We need some commingling with it. We need to avail ourselves to it. Love is not something you control. It's something you consent to. Right? Which is why it's so stinking hard for us. I'll do anything out of my competency as long as I get to remain in some kind of control of it. So uh, I want to invite us to do some imaginative prayer together. And I guess the call today is to just perform this, this first verse. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. See it. So we're going to see it together. So I invite you to do this. I invite you to close your eyes. You can keep them open if you want. Nobody will know because most people's eyes will be closed. And as I say this phrase, what comes to mind? Friends, uh, 16-second diatribe. One of the lies of our age is that we primarily connect to God through our intellect. Our intellect is a small piece of a larger part of our mind that I'll refer to as our imagination, and we're going to recover some of our imagination here. We think, we know who we are through stories and pictures, not through facts and propositions. I think I did 16 seconds there. Awesome. Okay. See what love God has for us. What, what do you picture when you see what love God has for us? What comes to mind?
See what love God has for us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. See what love God has for us. Maybe it's a blue sky for you or a a warm, sunny day. Maybe it's the smell of like baked goods or the aroma of flowers on a table. Maybe it's your, your child's face or your lover's face. See what love God has for us. How do you see that? So just settle on whatever that is. We trust the Holy Spirit's here and we trust that there is no wrong image. (laughs) And friends, what we're going to do for uh, 90 seconds is we're just going to behold it together. Whatever you see. See what love the Father has for us. Let's appreciate that, uh, that image of God's love together. And as we see that, however God's communicating his love to us right now, and, and maybe, maybe there is no image or picture uh, in your mind, and so maybe you feel like there isn't a way to enter into this, uh, but friends, let me encourage you to just know that God's love is present even as you struggle to perceive it even in the darkness or the quiet or the silence. In fact, um, that's, that may be a sign of maturity. Those of us who need milk, we need consolations in our emotions and our thoughts. Uh, it could be a sign of your growth and maturation in love that there's silence or darkness today. But let's pray in that place wondering and worshiping in love, using this prayer in our booklets. Father, what wondrous love is this? Let's exclaim that. Father, what wondrous love is this? Thank you for the honor of being your child. May your love be expressed through me in my blank or through us in our blank. Where where do we want to see God's love manifest today? Where uh, do you hope 
for a deeper, greater expression of this intimacy and authority of Christ being expressed in your life. Let's spend some time praying together and we'll, we'll commit it to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy, we'll all pray, hear our prayer. Let's do that now.